You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening and welcome to this week's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and coming up on the programme tonight, Rachel Keeley joins me in the studio shortly to talk about her recent trip. I'll be finding out about two great events coming up this month and Theresa Story will be talking us through her new book, Fruit on the Table. If you have food and drink news to share, you can drop me an email to s.noonan at live.ie or you can tweet me at Queen of Org as in Queen of Organisation. And tonight's first guest has news to share about her latest travels. So let's welcome Food and Wine magazine's Rachel Keeley into the studio to find out more. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Rachel, welcome back this evening. Thanks, Sharon. It's great to be here. The last time you were here, you were talking about your visit to Iran, but on that trip, you actually visited another country. We did. We did. We had we had flown into Dubai, which is a great hub to get to sort of everywhere in the Middle East. And the very cheap flights are very tempting to go and explore a bit more. So I think for the princely sum of $68, we flew from Dubai up to Azerbaijan. Are you serious? Yeah. $68. It's ridiculous. One way. That is unreal. It's too tempting not to, Sharon, at that kind of price. You know? And did you book that before you went or did you just decide to do it when you were there? No, we booked it before we went. We booked it in Azerbaijan Airways, uh, which was interesting. <laughs> uh, a little bit of an experience. A but, bit of um, an Aeroflot type experience. Bit, yes, yeah. Um, for example, you can't book any luggage online for some reason. You have to call to their offices in Baku or else do it at the airport. So, yeah, anyway. And is there an additional charge for that? There is. It's $25. Uh, so it's not bananas either, you know. Sure, that's for nothing. Yeah, that compared to Ryan. <laughs> I'm beginning sure. to think, Rachel, are you one of these people that you get all these cheap things, but then whenever I would go to do it, it's going to cost me <laughs> 10 times as much? No, it's about putting in the hours. I sit at home on the laptop at night time and Anthony looks at me. He's like, what are you doing? I'm, like, I'm exploring. Um, I, I'm my mother's daughter that way. Half the interest and half the fun of a travel for me is the research beforehand. And I would research the day, living daylights out of something. Well, Azerbaijan, it's not a country that I would be very familiar with. So tell us a bit about it. Nor I, Sharon until I went there uh, how we ended up picking it is we looked at the map and what was above Dubai and we saw that Baku the capital of Azerbaijan is actually on the Caspian Sea and we just thought that would be a really nice place to, to call um, in the spring now that it's sort of turning warm uh, and we ended up travelling there So did you go to, to lie out in the sun at the beach for a little bit? Not really it wasn't that warm it was um, I mean it's it's sort of you have to kind of think about it it's one of the it's near what people call the stands like Kazakhstan and and all that. It's not a million miles away from Russia, so it gets extreme cold in the winter and warm in the summer. Um, so at this point, it was just turning. So we can go around in normal sort of like jackets and jeans, but not quite lying out, unfortunately, not just yet. How long were you there for? We were there for three nights. Tell me about the hotel. How much was it, or what was it like? Well, the hotels are fabulous. Um, it's it's a curious kind of country. It uh, is oil rich, so um, it has. Even though it only became independent after the fall of the the Soviet Union in 1991, uh, since then they have just accelerated massively and and moved super fast. So now uh, it has this sort of curious sense of being, in one sense, very traditional and very old fashioned and and very um, enmeshed in its heritage, which is lovely. So they got the old city and. They celebrate that history and that cu- and that culture and that heritage very very well. And on the other side, it has incredibly clean streets and ordered traffic and high end boutiques everywhere and gorgeous hotels to cater for sort of the oil industry. So it's got this 
interesting dichotomy but they, they sort of sit side by side very very well so the hotels even though they're very very high end you've got the Hilton you've got the Kapinski you've got Four Seasons and all the rest of it are also very affordable so it was a way for us to get a little bit of luxury into our lives without paying a full whack like we'd have to over here um, so we actually ended up staying in the Four Seasons initially um, which is the first time I've ever done that in my entire life uh, and we got a great deal online we actually rang them up and got a great deal for it so we were able to indulge I agree a, a, bit, a, a bit of luxury I, I think it was I think we paid 130 euro a night for the, four seasons. For the four seasons yeah it, it's very very cheap um, I could barely afford a cocktail in the Four Seasons in Dublin so it was a real way of indulging that side um, and everywhere you look then there's Burberry and Prada and all the rest of it um, I didn't uh, go into those boutiques as you can imagine and are the prices for those products on a par to what you'd pay in Brown Thomas or in, in New York I think they're a little bit cheaper I didn't really go into it too much I'm not a, one into who's into shopping when I go away um, I'm not really even into shopping here that much um, so the last place I want to be uh, when I'm in a really interesting country is, is in a boutique for three hours so I kind of had a, had a look but not in too much detail yeah, I wouldn't I would be like yourself now but I always I'd like to see now if the Louis Vuitton is a bit cheaper it's a bit cheaper yeah I looked I it s- rarely is now I've never exactly. really been anywhere and yeah. thought oh, that's, that's loads cheaper than, than in Brown Thomas I think they have like recommended retail prices that they sort of have yeah. to stick with in order to maintain the, the brand rate. I think mm. so yeah and of course the people over there um, who can afford it would be oil rich so there'd be no issue then you know um, I am not oil rich <laughs> no neither am I actually. the cocktails and in the hotel mm. were they Four Seasons Dublin prices or no no again um, very very affordable um, so I mean you're talking sort of like 11 12 euro for a cocktail which is very normal for any hotel um, kind of in Dublin they'd be like 20 euro kind of thing um, even eating in the hotel we did that one night where we were just so tired we had walked the length and breadth of the city and we ended up just ordering up um, and I mean room service for two came to $30 that's very cheap for any hotel uh, never mind the four seasons so so that particular place um, Baku was very very cheap to really sort of live it up in <laughs> you can really go and and uh, experience the kind of finer side of life without feeling like you've bankrupted yourself leaving When you were out and about then what what's it like what's the city like So there's there is a sort of modern aspect of the city which is very very modern um, and you're talking sort of like UAE modern with Lamborghinis and the Porsches and Burberry and Prada and all the rest of it but what we found most interesting uh, was the old city uh, Baku old city or old town really is more accurate which dates back to sort of the early middle ages and it is fascinating it's so interesting again it was on the old Silk Road so you've got this panoply of, of uh, mixture of, of, of cultures and heritages and histories and, and people. I mean, it's a largely Muslim country, uh, but it has a very secular feel. You know, you, you, very few people sort of um, wear the traditional dress and you, um, you know, there isn't much of a concentration on, on religions one way or the other. Um, so you've got this lovely sort of mixture then when you go into the old city uh, off these different strands and, and different cultures coming together. So in the old city, for example, they have uh, obviously the old cobblestone streets, but because it was Novorus and we went over there again the Persian New Year, it, they had street markets and celebrations and uh, festivities there. So it was great. You got to see the kids dress in cultural costume, traditional singers, musicians, people were wandering around with like hot tea and fresh kebabs. And they had these sort of spiralling potato sticks as well, which is one potato that's sort of 
just very finely shorn and, and turned around. Get that uh, at Tato Park. Can you really? I've never seen that. Interesting. Get that at Park. Yeah. I thought it was hugely exotic. It obviously isn't. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you and again, it was all again, people like with the with the traditional music and and the steam and the smoke coming off all the grills and the kids dancing around. It was it was a fabulous experience. Do they have any traditional dishes there that we might not have heard of? They do. Uh, we actually ate at one point in a very very interesting restaurant. They have um, caravan which if anybody who's been to Jerusalem or anything like that they'll find familiar it's essentially where the old traders used to build their own uh, stone hostels within the city walls um, so you enter into a courtyard and all around the courtyard are dotted these very small only sort of four foot high uh, heavy wooden doors braced with copper and, and steel and if you enter into one of these they're tiny cells they're only like four foot by four foot with a little fire in the corner and Persian uh, carpets on the walls and that is, uh, they would have been where the traders would have slept at night so they would have had their own little compounds with sort of the German traders would have slept in one place and Persian traders in another in much the same way as the colonies would have developed in Jerusalem um, but now I find it very interesting in Azerbaijan they repurpose all these old things for, for new uh, for new options now um, which is a great way of keeping them alive and keeping the uh, keep them looked after and keeping them lived in so when we sort of knocked on one of these doors and stepped inside we were led into a table again the table is, is, is tiny because the cell is tiny but you get sat down by a waiter and handed a menu and it's now a restaurant so you're in your own tiny private restaurant that dates back to the middle ages with your little fire in the grate and your, your small menu and your one waiter and everyone else are in their own individual restaurants in their own little cells so it's it's a very very interesting way of getting to really immerse yourself in Azerbaijani culture That sounds so cool It was very cool in fact yeah. one of the traders told us that Margaret Thatcher spent a night in one of them uh, which I wouldn't envy her for but she's a pretty steely woman she, she probably managed just fine <laughs> What was on the menu that you were handed? So uh, much like, uh, I suppose, many times you're travelling... You if in doubt just order everything um, and that's mainly what we ended up doing so again it's very Persian food it's Middle Eastern a lot of grilled meats um, a lot of kebab um, lamb beef and mixtures like that it, it, the flavours are very very light and very very fresh on one side so you get all these um, these simply cooked and grilled meats with lovely sort of charcoal flavour and the other side then they've got this almost sort of Slavic tradition of sort of heavy dumpling rich stews and, and soups and things like that so there's a real mix in terms of the, the food foodie culture um, of particular favourites for us were the Shoban salad which is something so simple but so enormously flavourful it was cucumber tomato and dill which I don't, you don't see very often with some lemon juice and a little bit of olive oil um, and that just served to, to really refresh your palate in between each meal or each dish we also then would have gobat which is a sort of a very it's an almost it's something between a flatbread and a crepe it's incredibly light paper thin and shredded lamb inside uh, so you sort of roll it up and you eat it nearly like um, like like sort of a, a crispy pancake yeah exactly I was going to say something like the Asian tradition um, and of course then they had their kebabs which were usually served with flavoured rice um, like palaf and they use sumac quite a lot which is a spice you don't see very very often in this neck of the woods um, which just added a little bit of sweetness on top and they sprinkled that quite liberally they have of course all the different types of cheeses as well um, lovely soft soft sheep's cheese very very salty but very richly flavoured as well alongside the hard cow's cheeses with light smoky flavour and they went brilliantly with Azerbaijani wine um, of, of which course we sampled that's my next question <laughs> is there any alcohol to accompany this meal yes they have um, unlike the sort of neighbours in Iran uh, alcohol is, is consumed quite wild, wildly should I say um, and they are very very proud of their Azeri wine and I don't blame them it's one of the most enjoyable wines 
we've ever tasted actually um, they're big into the sort of very dry reds uh, which have a, a curious flavour they're, they're, they're quite full bodied but at the same time don't have the spice that we'd be quite used to in many of the newer world wines instead these are very um, almost chocolatey uh, very very dense kind of wines my husband joked that it was like having dessert and digestif in one uh, very very interesting flavour and then the white wines were like everything I find in the Middle East very very sweet um, but again it's, it's sort of a finely balanced flavour as well and went really really well with and it's cheese. really fine if it is sweet if you have it with the right food exactly. to, to offset it but not as a standalone drink I wouldn't have it as, sta- as a standalone myself but um, of course that's, that goes for most wines really for me anyway I always generally prefer them with wine but you often see the locals actually um, issuing the wine for a clear spirit with their dinner um, again sort of in the Slavic tradition it's almost like you see happen in Russia you know they're sitting down with something that's akin to vodka and having shots in between their courses um, which is very very different to the European tradition of course of having wine or, or ale or beer with your with your dinner so that was something I wasn't quite brave enough to try <laughs> but the wine was fabulous what would that meal cost? That was in one of the most popular sort of tourist areas, so that was a bit more expensive than elsewhere. But it's still all of it came to you know the wine and three courses and dessert and teas and coffees and all the rest of it still came to about fifty euro. Ahead, no, for all the in. two of you, for yeah. the two of you, yeah, fantastic. The top of the range wine is twenty euro. Plus, I mean, the whole experience. Like yeah. it's an experience in itself. Exactly. Dining in, like you, you would pay 50 quid a head. And for I agree that with you, experience. absolutely. There are times, you know, in life when you have to say, I know I'm paying a bit more for being in the tour, tourist area, but there's a reason why I'm paying more. It's an interesting experience and something that you, you won't forget. Um, we were very happy to pay 50 euro for absolutely, that. Absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Great value. Where are you off to next? One must ask before we finish up now. Uh, the plan is Abu Dhabi. Um, so it won't probably be uh, quite as, as different for most of your listeners than uh, Iran or, or Azerbaijan, but um, definitely interesting. Okay, well, we look forward to talking to you about that. Thanks, Rachel. Thanks, Sharon. And you're going to put this up on your blog. We should mention your blog. I am indeed. It'll be up on rmkeely.com uh, and you'll actually see a lot of the photographs and the trip on Twitter at rmkeely. Great. All right. Thanks a million. Thanks. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleiter. So if you have itchy feet after that interview with Rachel, but you don't relish the idea of getting on a plane, how about a trip to Dublin and to one of its food highlights in June, Taste of Dublin? Avril Bannerton has all the details about what to expect and is on the line now. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Avril, great to have you on the show again this year to tell us about Taste of Dublin. Now, I'm sure most of the listeners are very familiar with Taste of Dublin, but just in case somebody hasn't visited it before, how would you describe it in a very short sentence? Uh, Hi, Sharon. It's good to talk to you again. What I would say is Taste of Dublin is Ireland's premier food and drinks festival, which takes place from the 16th to the 19th of June in the Ivy Gardens in Dublin. So essentially, it's Dublin's biggest, biggest restaurant is was hosting over the course of the weekend with over 20 chefs, 20 features, over 100 exhibitors and Dublin's top sort of 20 restaurants which will feature and an amazing lineup of entertainment during the course of the four days. So lots of fun. Well, that's a very long sentence, but then there is, there is okay. so much happening. No, no, that, that's totally fine. There is so much happening that, of course, yeah. you couldn't summarise it in a short sentence. OK. Because you mentioned there about entertainment and the exhibitors and chefs because yeah. on one hand you have you have demonstrations on the other hand you have the restaurants there doing their signature tasting plates which I just love because yes. you can sample different cuisine from different places uh-huh 
Absolutely. You can sample so many different, um, I suppose, experiential tastings from over 20 of the restaurants. So they have a number of, I suppose, these grazing uh, menus which are available. So people can wander around, have their, you know, starter main course dessert in that grazing environment. And also, I suppose, to the experiences, we have over 20 of them, which are some of them are, I suppose, restaurant affiliated partnerships. But um, there's some interesting features. For example, Electrolux are back again, but they're doubling up their taste theatre this year. It's doubling in size. That will have Nevin Maguire, Rachel Allen, Ross Lewis, to name but a few. You have the Chef's Secret area where people can sort of touch, feel and learn and obviously get very focused and, and learn a lot from their um, favourite chefs. We For this year, which is really new and it's a very interesting one, we have Dumbrody House brought to you by Flowgas, which is going to be an amazing, I suppose, just barbecue which will be hosted by Kevin Dundon and um, they'll have a lot of barbecue masterclasses plus a taste of Dunbrody at, at taste for the first time. So that's a lovely one. We've also got the Skillery Sharon which has been hosted by Fitzgerald Catering and this is new again for this year. Uh, this, the Skillery concept is not a new concept but it's hosted by a different group of people. So there's lots of um, culinary demos and educational and culinary artists within that. We have Sony back for the third year, but they're doing something very different this year. And they're hoping they're hosting their, their restaurant, but they will have a number of tech talks. Um, so it's all about technology meeting food. Uh, for example, we have Dan Mackin, who's Director of Innovation, Hey Human, coming along, um, to name but a few, with Parscourt Restaurant. And they'll team up and produce an amazing as this technology meets food experience. We have Family Day on the Sunday, which is a lovely day. We've also got the Style Afternoon on the Friday afternoon, which is brought to us by Evoke. So, ladies, I suppose get your fine gear on and rock up to Taste of Dublin. And we have a host of experiences then throughout the whole weekend with everything from learning about coffee to the Natural Bakery who are with us for the first time this year. They will be doing a delicious selection of fresh breads, treats and cakes, and again, masterclasses which will I suppose just give people an inside view into the whole behind the scenes baking world which is which is um, obviously a very popular one these days and for the first time we have Open Gate Brew bringing the first ever taste brew to Dublin to taste of Dublin so we'll have a strawberry flavoured porter which has been inspired by the Irish summer and also as I said to you Open Gate Brew will be doing a lot of matchings alongside food which is um, which would be a lovely experience at Taste of Dublin. So that's just a number, that's an outline of the experiences that will be. There's an awful lot more on tasteofdublin.ie. We have amazing restaurants. We have everyone from Amuse Restaurant to Chapter One who will affiliate with Barry's Tea and create the high tea restaurant experience at Taste with Ross Lewis this year. And back by popular, popular demand, we have Jaipur, Marcel's, Matha Trashers, Piche, Claw. Seeker Restaurant in association with Sony, Susie Street with Declan from X Chapter 1, and we also have the Chap House, the Green Hen and Exchequer. So a lot happening this year, and also P-Shake will be back with us um, after, I suppose, two years' gap, so it's nice to have them back. One of the things that I really love about Taste of Dublin is that coming from Limerick myself, and I'm not in Dublin that often. And any time I do go, I'm kind of, oh, where am I going to eat? Because the choice is so endless. And you can obviously only do maybe one or two places on a visit. So Taste of Dublin is ideal for actually experiencing a number of restaurants in the one go, in the one setting, which I 
Absolutely, and and new trends, you know what I mean? It gives you an insight into a lot of what's new. So whilst a lot of the restaurants, it's a great way of of getting to experience the restaurants. It's a really, really good way of, I suppose, meeting, as you say, just also getting to meet the chefs, meeting the owners, getting meeting the people behind the scenes and getting a flavour of what's on offer. So it's a really, it's 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 a very personable and educational experience and and fun which is lovely and then we pair all our dishes up with um, some beautiful wines from O'Brien's who actually do pair they pair the wines with the the food dishes so it's again it's really useful for people that want to match up their foods and their wines they can learn a lot via that that route and they will have a number of I suppose wine experts on site to um, give people an insight in their O'Brien's Masterclass over the weekend as well. You mentioned there about trends and obviously there's an explosion of craft beer at the moment in Ireland mm-hmm. and there's a number of craft beer companies there that you can experience. You've mentioned the Taste Brew, which is exclusive to you for this year, which is fantastic. That's right. And um, the Taste Brew exactly has been brought by the open house, our Open Gate Brewery, which is part of St. James's Gate. So they've just decided to associate themselves with Taste this year because it's a perfect opportunity for them to showcase, I suppose, really what's on offer. And the brewer is behind the scenes. And as I said to you, they're creating their own special brew for Taste, which is a strawberry favourite blue. So definitely watch out for that one. But we do have lots of other interesting, I suppose, beers at the event. We have the Franciscan Well Brewed Pub, which is coming to Dublin from Cork. So um, anyone that hasn't had a chance to experience the Franciscan brew can obviously can come along to Dublin over the weekend and get to meet the people behind that whole culture. Um, they are an award-winning craft beer group with ales, lagers, and a number of very interesting beers. So it's just something that would be very, very different at the event this year. Earlier this year, Bank of Ireland ran a competition and it is actually supporting, I suppose, a, a craft type producer to, to be there this year. Tell us about the winner of that competition. The competition from Bank of Ireland. OK, so this year, Bank of Ireland for the first time, well, sorry, for the third time, um, have teamed up and they're supporting, as you said, the small business uh, people. So what they do is they provide the people who have entered with a a showcase opportunity to market and promote their business to the value of 50,000 euros, which is really, really interesting. So the winners this year have been Black Castle Drinks and Reeve and John from Wicklow, who are a really interesting team, actually. They were working in London and I suppose very bogged down in that whole sort of financial world and decided to come back to Ireland and set up their own business and they have done so and they've produced uh, small batches of I suppose natural ingredients and playful flavour combinations to create interesting sodas inspired by their I suppose their childhood so they've gone back to the roots and they are supplying into a number of um, beautiful off licenses and restaurants around the country so this year they are the winners of the Bank of Ireland enterprise and they're getting huge support from Bank of Ireland via their marketing and their promotion and they also get to showcase their product at Taste of Dublin so be sure to watch out for them but Absolutely, it's very interesting yeah. it's, it's, it's a really lovely idea and they're um, definitely an amazing couple so it's blackcastledrinks.ie if anybody wants to check more information out on them and they're also listed on our website yeah definitely one to look out for yeah. And speaking of new products, you have something there. It's called New Kids on the Block of the Irish Food Scene. 
That's right. Um, so they, what we're really talking about there, we are talking about this year what we've created, Sharon, is a special theme and it's all about the homecoming and it's all about celebrating Irish talent abroad. So we've decided to zone in on all of those people that have made waves abroad and I suppose are adding to the festival this year. So we have the likes of Anna Hall, who's the head chef of Chiltern Firehouse. So she's extremely interesting and she was over a few weeks ago. We've got Robin Gill from the renowned dairy restaurant coming in. We've got Carl Armstrong, who has actually cooked for um, the President Obama. He's not based in the White House, but he has cooked for him and, and is one of his favourite chefs. So he's coming in for the whole weekend. And we've also got Patrick Powell and London-based lazy chef Simon Lamont, who all cook alongside, I suppose, just some very famous culinary people. Uh, we've, to support that, we've got Nevin, who's one of our favourite homegrown chefs. He's going to be with us for the weekend. That's Nevin Maguire. Again, supported by Rachel Allen and Kevin Dundon and lots of our Dublin chefs as well, Ross Lewis to name to name but a few. But this year it's all about celebrating our talent our I suppose really special talent abroad. I mean it's it's all of the Irish restaurateurs and the chefs and the projects that you actually hear about. And what has inspired us to actually do that this year was I suppose the success of Richard Corrigan, who won our Irish Icon Award last year. And that, on the back of that we were inspired to to look abroad bring home the people that um, have really made a difference so that's been a very successful and unique team and has been very much supported but by the trade here they really like the idea of of those people but we also have um our own ed cooney edward hayden gavin mcdonough joy Beatty, kevin dundon linda booth mark moriarty is with us again this year nevin mcguire niles bongi patrick powell paul kelly rachel allen robin gill ross lewis Simon Lamont, as I mentioned, Sunil Guy, Stephen Gibson and Stuart O'Keefe. So we've got over 20 amazing chefs and I'm sure more of them will follow suit in the next few weeks as well. So, so much to see, do, eat, taste, drink while you're there and in such a a short, only a a few hours, but the good news is... I suggest though, even if you really, really, really want to sort of just, you know, even two sessions, we get a lot of people that actually will book in for an afternoon and an evening just so they can have a double experience you know you get that daytime experience which is totally different nighttime can tend to be sort of more upbeat and and party mode so there's a huge amount of I suppose options or in some cases what some people do is overnight in Dublin maybe come up make an evening off it and go back in the next day and you know experience the downside it's actually Father's Day on the Sunday which is so it's a perfect opportunity for people to possibly use it as a, a family day and we also are doing as well, you're probably familiar, Sharon, with JJ Kavanagh's coach company. We've special offer deals with them for the Thursday or Friday. Somebody, so if maybe a group from Limerick do want to travel up that option's available with them and there's information on their website. Okay, great. And the good news is that you do have extended hours in the evening. There's an extra hour in the evening. Oh, you're very smart. You probably I saw that. (laughs) I got that, yep. Extra time, which is fantastic. So we're running from (laughs) half five until half ten. So it gives people a good five hours. And again, last year we extended by a half an hour. We've added another extension to it as well, which is really good. So it gives, I suppose, a longer experience for people to enjoy the event. Yeah, I do not envy your team that have to get the afternoon people out to let the evening people in. That's a huge challenge for them, but they're very they're very good yeah, at it. We so usually have a high class problem where people do want to come back, but you know the ones that do have the opportunity in some cases, you know, but what I'd sort of say is Friday, Saturday night, they do sell out very, very quickly. So that's the taste 
of Dublin. It's the 16th to the 19th of June in Ivy Gardens. Tasteofdublin.ie is the website. Get on there now and book your tickets and I guarantee you'll have an absolutely fantastic time. Avril, great to talk to you as always. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you so much. Look forward to seeing you. Thank you. Bye-bye. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan. And just before the break, Rachel Keeley was in studio talking about her latest trip and Avril Bannerton had all the details about Taste of Dublin, which starts a week on Thursday in Ivy Gardens. And still to come on the show this evening, details about another great food event, the Limerick Urban Food Fest, which is on Thursday week. That's June the 16th in the Limerick Milk Market. And I'll be putting a call into Olivia O'Sullivan before the end of the show to find out more about that. In the meantime, my next... Next guest joins me in studio. Teresa Story from the Green Apron will be well known to regular visitors to Limerick Milk Market and major food festivals around the country. Last Thursday, she launched her debut cookbook, Fruit on the Table, and she's here in studio now to tell us all about it. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. Teresa, you're very welcome to the studio. Thank you very much. Thanks for coming in to show us your fantastic book, your debut book, Fruit on the Table, Seasonal Recipes from the Green Apron Kitchen. It just looks fabulous. I had a quick flick through there and there's some of my all-time favourite preserves, cakes, things in it really that I'd never make at home because I feel that there's an awful lot of effort involved. But these recipes seem to be quite simple and straightforward. I'm all about the laziness and doing it as quickly as possible and as easily as possible. Plus, most of the recipes, um, the baking recipes, I've worked on with my kids and they don't want to be faffing around for ages. So these are what we make at our house. The Green Apron will be well known to people that frequent the milk market or other high-end food markets that are are familiar with the Blossom Erin and the Great Taste Awards because a number of your products have won awards and you're in there every Saturday. Come rain or shine. Or minus nine degrees. Logging your wares. And tell me this now, you've captured a lot of the recipes in here. Are you not worried that people will stop buying off you because they can make some of these items themselves? Um, people can be very lazy. I don't mind. They can use, take the recipes. They can try. Yeah, let's let's hope they, they'll improve their own uh, preserving because I've put in all of the tips and tricks that I use. But do you know what? They'll make some of them and then they'll come back and buy the rest of mine. So yeah, Well, I definitely am one of those lazy people. So there's there's probably no fear of me. But you never know now because you do make some of the, the recipes seem very straightforward. And you were telling me about your favorite recipe. Just tell the, the, the listeners what it is. My favorite recipe in the book is the microwave lemon curd recipe. I really love lemon curd, but, you know, it takes forever and you're faffing around with Bam Marie's. So one of my fellow ICA, late, ICA ladies, and told me she makes hers in the microwave. So I went, oh. And so I went home and looked through all my recipes and blended them all together and came up with a idiot proof because I can do it half asleep and the kids can all do it. Uh, Seven minute microwave lemon curd and it takes two bowls and none of this messing around and it tastes fantastic. A microwave, Teresa. You surprise me now that you use a microwave. Do you know what? (laughs) Speed, man, speed. (laughs) The other... um, the other is it like cake that's in here? It's a very quick cake to make. My busy day cake 
It is really quick. It's it's a mixture of uh, one I got out of a recipe book that I had in college, and also my grandma used to make it. And it's really quick. It has things that you always have in the house. Instead of using butter, it uses a little bit of sunflower oil. And I used to make it all the time in college because you always had that stuff. You had an immediate cake, and I usually serve it covered in berries, but you can have it with chocolate and ice cream and depending on how your sweet tooth. And it's one of the first cakes I taught my kids to make because it's so quick and simple. I think I might put the lemon curd on top of it. Mm, That would be nice. I might actually do those two things one of the days. Now, we were talking there about a number of the products are award-winning, great taste, Blossna Erin. Is that because you grow a lot of your own produce, do you think? Um, I think we... I think a lot of it is that we grow our own produce, but it's also that I'm really, really careful about what I do. You know, I'm watching every second and the jam comes off this second, it's ready. None of this boiling it to be sure that it has a really, really long shelf life. Like a lot of um, big commercial producers can't spend the time and care on it. And, And also they're they're hiring people to do it who don't care or love and and you know are just there for a paycheck whereas I would be embarrassed to not have the best okay you're very passionate what you do from the ground up literally growing everything in Ballangari tell us about some of the items that you grow out there Um, we we've got a couple hundred feet of uh, raspberries and we've got loganberries we've got blackcurrants I've got nectarines in my polytunnel which was an unexpected delight because the nectarine tree grew from a pit in my compost even I was going what is that weed and now I've got a seven foot high nectarine I'm so excited I, I, I can't believe a nectarine tree would grow in Ireland. It's Mad. it's fantastic, especially we live on a north windy hillside. So I'm so happy. You know. And OK, they're not quite as big as the ones you get in the shops, but they're just as juicy. And I grew them. So now you said there about where you live, you're a West Limericker, but people will be saying that's not a West Limerick accent. So tell us about where Teresa was born and grew up? Um, I was born in Detroit, but uh, I grew up in Clare, out the back of the airport. So I'm really from Clare, up the banner. So my dad's from Derry and mom's American, Finnish American. So um, we're kind of mongrelly. And when you were in your 20s, they moved to West Limerick. Yeah, when I was in my early 20s, mom and dad uh, moved to West Limerick. They wanted a house with more land so that we could grow more stuff because mom had the green apron business before I did. Everybody's worked in it, everybody in the family. Everybody's been there, all my siblings, freezing in the rain on Saturday mornings So and working in the garden. And your own children are very much involved in the business. They're, they help me every Saturday. They do all the labeling. They help me with the marketing. They grudgingly help me with everything. <laughs> they were now that they're in their twenties and teens, they're less inclined to help. And your daughter was a hand model in the book. My girls helped so much. Um, Bella was the hand model for. She was putting. She's our pastry chef at home. She's the most amazing baker, and so it's her hands that are putting together the finished prune tarts that are my grandma's favorite recipe, and. All through the summer when we were photographing, the girls helped me make everything and were the runners going, here, we need another tea cloth to look at, put in this photograph. Ooh, run and get a rose. And so the girls were, I couldn't have done it without them. So, And your photographer was Val O'Connor from Limerick, and who has a couple of books out herself. So she would have had a really good insight into 
your side of the counter, so to speak. Yes. And oh my God, we learned so much from Val because we knew nothing about food styling. Now, we're way better. Now, we're still not as good as Val or a man whose uh, new book, Modern Format, is amazing. But um, we're way better. So we, we learned a lot over that summer, intense summer of photographing. When you saw it for the first time, how did you feel? It was kind of like having a baby. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, It was just like, oh, my heart kind of stopped. It's like, oh, look, that's mine. That's me on the front of a book. That's amazing. And to have a publisher then and a publicist and everything, it must be a hugely proud moment for you. Do you know, I kind of still can't quite believe it. I can't believe it's me. You know, this this is just our normal life. It was something that you had kind of on your to-do list or your wish list for a few years, wasn't it? It is. um, I always knew that I wanted to write a jam book because I had some really bad jam that people made. And um, it's like, it's not not rocket science once you have the techniques, uh, but they didn't know them. And... The, what's on the internet is just repeating other bad recipes. You know, you look up a recipe and somebody's repeated it 60 times. You know, every website has the same bad recipe slightly changed. So my recipes are really good. Well, you call it a jam, but, but it's so much more than that. Yes. Um, we've got, it's about 50% preserves. And then I kind of worked through everything that we have through the year um, using fruit, using whatever is in season. It, it's from starting with making your Seville orange marmalade the first week of January through the blood oranges and then making rhubarb coffee cake and rhubarb jam and rhubarb relish and then my next favorite is strawberry pie strawberry glaze pie we never have pies strawberry pies here and I did a lot of pies in the book because you know we eat a lot of apple tart here but we don't eat a lot of really good pies and sure I grew up with that being American, half American. so Well, there's a lot of different cultures in it as well. You're talking about American, you're talking about Finnish, your grandmother, yeah. some of her recipes in it. So it must be lovely to capture some of those heritage type recipes in it. It is, and it, uh, I think it makes it a little bit more pan-European, you know, you know, with grandma's recipes. We also have some blueberry recipes using the wild blueberries, which finish recipes as well. So I got a lot of recipes, not just from my family, but from my friends who've given it to me. And now we've incorporated them into our regular recipe repertoire. You're growing all the time then. You're picking, you're preserving. It, it We're must always. All the time. And you get, you do, you, do, you would admit that you do get fed up, Meg, and certain things. So then you kind of diversify off from a preserve to you were talking about a core deal to me just before we started yes uh, I, in the middle of summer you've got a million blackcurrants now you've made a rake of jam and you're looking at it and you've you can't top and tail any more blackcurrants because it's such a pain you make cordial and I had a customer last Saturday asking me what she was going to do with the rest of her blackcurrants that were in the freezer because she had made so much jam. I'm like, make cordial for the grandchildren. Use very little sugar and you've got homemade Ribena. Fantastic. Happy children. Happy vitamin seed up children. Absolutely, yeah. I'd say, that, yeah. I'd say, yeah, there's huge vitamins in that, yeah. Yeah. And so much better for you than the bottle. And, you know, it's barely cooked and you've just sweetened it enough you know, that wee bit of sugar, it's not going to do anything except make them happy. 
So if listeners want to get a copy of the book or find out more about Green Apron or even buy some of your products, you're in the milk market? Every Saturday morning. Okay. If they want to buy it online, I presume it's available online? It's available online. It should be in every bookstore. Uh, It's available on Amazon. Okay. And O'Brien Press, directly from O'Brien Press, my publisher's. Well, listen, it is a beautiful book. Congratulations. I'm Thank you very much. You. We talked about it, I'd say, gosh, it must be a year ago now. So it was very much on my radar and I was delighted to see it being launched. So well done and the best of luck with it. Thank you very much. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste with me, Sharon Noonan. So far on the show tonight, we've heard about Rachel Keeley's latest travels. We've heard about Taste of Dublin, which is on the 16th and 19th of June. And Green Aproness, Teresa Story, was talking just before the break about her debut book, Fruit on the Table. Our final interview of the show features another great event, and this time it's in Limerick. And Olivia O'Sullivan is on the phone now with all the details. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Olivia, a great event is planned for Limerick on Thursday the 16th of June. Tell us what it is all about. Hi Sharon, there is a fantastic event planned. So it's called Urban Food Fest, a Limerick street food event. And it's taking place at the Milk Market, our fabulous city centre-based milk market with that canopy, um, which means that we're weatherproofed, thankfully. But hopefully the 16th of June, it's a Thursday evening, it'll be taking place between 6 and 10 p.m., so, fingers crossed, it'll be a family-friendly event, and we're hoping there'll be something for everyone, certainly some food for everybody, that's, that's for sure. I love the milk market now, and um, would often go in on a Saturday to it, but I think that people that maybe work in Limerick Monday to Friday aren't as inclined to go into the city centre at the weekend, so this is an ideal event for people that are working in the in the city centre to come out of at five, half five, and go straight to and enjoy their tea down in the milk market. Yeah, well, this is a bit different because it's an evening event in the milk market. Um, I disagree a little bit with you. I think we are good at getting out. I'm I'm based in the suburbs myself, and I'm you know born and bred here. So um, I the traditional trip to the, the market on a Saturday is part of culture. I think of Limerick City and County, but. Um, I guess when you get to a certain age, Sharon, could that be something to do with Yeah, you're probably right. You're probably right. (laughs) (laughs) But um, this event is definitely going to be different because it's it's in the evening. It's a street food offering. So it's not your typical market stalls where you're going to purchase and take home and prepare food. Now, I know there's always street food available at the Limerick Milk Market, which is why we love it because we have a bit of everything. But this is specifically um, food that you can eat on the night. Every single stall is going to have a taster, we're operating a token system so that there will be tasters at each of the stalls. So there's not a huge investment for each one. So what you'll be able to do is for 15 euros, you'll be able to buy five tokens and you'll be able to get a three euro taster at every stall. So everyone that's taking part in this have committed to this. So we'll essentially have a menu of tasters. So, you, you know, your money should go quite far and you'll be able to taste a lot from lots of different producers and food, Limerick food businesses. Tell us about the street food vendors that are going to be there. Who has signed up to take well, we part? Have, we have such a big selection. Um, thankfully, we got um, double the amount. Well, thankfully, and also more more trouble for us, I guess. We got double the amount of people we were looking for in, in terms of applications. So we're having to rejig our uh, our setup a little bit because we're going to try and, and fit as many in as possible and at the same time fit people in. You know, there's there's two sides to it because obviously on the Saturday morning milk market, there's 
in and out. You're not asking people to sit down and enjoy the event or to mill around and enjoy it. I suppose we do a little bit of that on Saturday too, but it is going to be slightly different. So we're trying to accommodate as many stalls as possible while having some tables and chairs and that kind of thing as well. But um, we're going to have a, a huge selection. Like we have producers, um, existing stall holders, and then also the Limerick food businesses that also want to get out and you know do something a bit different. So we'll have, you know, we'll have um, Italian, we'll have Middle, Middle Eastern, Mexican, um, an Indian flavor, um, a French flavor to it. There's going to be a great international representation. But of course, um, you know, back to the core element of it being Irish and being Bialimni, which is the hashtag we've been promoting, is it'll all have, you know, either local ingredients, it'll be handmade or, you know, we've asked that in, in, the, in the application form. So we are looking for a very Irish version of what they're doing, even if it's falafels or burritos or crepes or whatever it is you know it's 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 not out of a package from those countries it's uh it's definitely local ingredients and there's a big local focus on it you yourself you're very passionate about the food scene in limerick and so much so that you have a project it's called eat in limerick i do it's my it's it's my other baby that um i launched last october and I have been very active on social media, so Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. It's at Eaton Limerick. You'll find us on the hashtag Eaton Limerick. Um, and the website is the next step for me. So they, um, originally I produced a guide map with um, over 100 um, food, between food stalls, restaurants, cafes, every kind of food vendor. Obviously, it's not entirely comprehensive because it could never be. Trust me, I walked the streets, you know, listing the places to eat and... I've, uh, I was quite thorough, but still, um, there's so many. It's, it's actually when you only when you re- start to do something like this, it's only when you realise just how many places there are. It's 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 quite phenomenal, and you don't realise it because we have you know people on our doorstep, and we don't pay that much attention. But the food map got um, a great reaction, and I'll have them there on the night. Actually, I have still some left over in my stock, so I'm going to bring them with me on the night. But um, I've actually been to friends' houses that have them stuck up. On the you know on the door the back door of the kitchen and they've been marking off a new place every time they go out they want to go to somewhere new and they've been marking off the restaurants and trying new places so that's a huge success as far as I'm concerned people are just starting to pay attention to actually the selection that's here and on our doorstep and how much there is to, to you know to investigate so um, the next step for me is the website that's a significant investment so I've taken my time making sure that I'm going to get it right but I'm I'm going to be very excited to get that going. The Eden Limerick project must have come in handy whenever you were looking at the Urban Food Festival and identifying people to come along with it. But there is a group of people that are 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 kind of trying to drive the Limerick food scene there in Limerick. There is. Well, I, I'm just one person on um, the Limerick food group. Um, a few of us got together. Actually, there were different things happening in Limerick. The, um, the council to the Leo office were working on the Limerick food strategy and then fall to Ireland, we're giving um, food story workshops and things like that, so I guess we were, groups of us were brought together to these things and then we started um, meeting up ourselves, wanting to promote Limerick food together as a group and trying to find ways to do it. So you have representatives from um, from producers and suppliers, to like stall holders, to also um, existing food businesses, the restaurants, the hotels, and trying to bring everybody like that together um, and I guess you have to get everybody together to really get something you know, meaty out of it, and, and thankfully this is our first event out of it now. Um, and there's a, there's a kind of a smaller steering committee, but we're representing a bigger group of people that have you know been in these meet- been at these meetings and given feedback into what kind of things 
we should be doing for Limerick Food. And I guess this is our first event, so it has to be a whopping success. And uh, there is a great reaction to it so far. And again, the reaction to our call out for um, applications was huge. So we're delighted. So fingers crossed now the weather will be, will be with us on the 16th of June and we'll have people storming in the gates of the milk market. Well, if you do get, say, there's some international visitors there, they've come to Limerick for the weekend, they're coming to the street food event on Thursday, the 16th of June, and they say to you, where else should we go to eat for the weekend? Where would you recommend to oh them? Oh, my goodness, there's so many, and that's really putting me on the spot. I know, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know so many of them. Um, well, I'm based on the, on the Ennis Road side of town, so places that are, I guess, are, have been more local to me, um, like the Curragar is on my side of town. You know, I love that as a gastropub in the city. Um, I used to work with the Corn Store Group. So, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, I used to work with them. So they have Corn Store and Cockball, hugely successful places in town. But um, last week, I was out in 1826 Adair. You know, love that place out there and love um, the mustard seed. I'd, you know, be a big fan of that place as well. Um, where else? God, there's so many. And I'll get myself in trouble, you know, Sharon, you're going to get me in trouble. I know, yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's I... Fabulous, like, um, Sage Cafe again is I'm a big fan of Sage for, for lunch and um, mm. um, actually there's a place we've gotten in touch and they're not even open yet that's how new it is <laughs> on uh, the start of June there's a new um, Japanese uh, it's a new sushi and noodle bar opening on uh, Georgia's Key called Kyoto K-Y-O-T-O Kyoto Sushi and Noodle Bar so that's the newest place because the doors aren't even open yet so it's on Georgia's Key and they are um, hopefully they'll be taking part in our event as well so we can get to know them there that's uh, yeah that's the news hot off the hot off the press there for you Sharon okay well it's Thursday the 16th of June if people want to find out more about it where's the best place for them to go to the best place is to find the Facebook event because we don't have um, a website just yet because we're a brand new group but you'll find us the face there's an event set up urban fa- urban food fest Limerick street food event you'll find us there um, you can get in touch with me through any of the Eat in Limerick social media you'll find me there and I'll give you any information you need Super. Well, I'm looking forward to it myself. I'm, I will be making the spin in from Newcastle West to go so. to it. Yep, I will be there. So I shall see you there. In the meantime, the best of luck with the final arrangements. And thanks for telling us all about it tonight. Thank you very much, Sharon. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleiter. Sadly, that brings us to the end of tonight's show, which will be on the podcast later in the week, soundcloud.com forward slash food dash and dash drink dash show or subscribe to it free of charge in iTunes or use your podcast app. Thanks so much for your company and to all of this evening's guests, Rachel Keeley, Avril Bannerton, Teresa Story and Olivia O'Sullivan. Until next week, bon appétit. Do you want to get in touch with the best possible taste? Do you want to come on, share a recipe, review a cookery book, or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink? All you have to do is get in touch with me, Sharon Noonan, by sending an email to s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org. Bon appétit!